Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. Boy, do we have a fun one for you as we wrap up 2022. Casey hadn't gotten the memo. 2022 officially ends sometime in the middle of Saturday night. Uh, if you couldn't tell from the hat, we are going to be talking about a little glass onion today. I got my Ryan Johnson whodunit, so I had to throw it on there. Uh, but very excited about today's episode. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Fox. And I'm Eric, and I'm excited to talk about party movies. That's true. We do have a couple of party movies. We have a couple of comedies. We also have perhaps one of the most emotional films. Oh, yeah. Sandwiched in between. I think it slides really well through an arc. I think we're going to go through an arc here. Uh, We are going to be looking at Glass Onion, She Said, and Babylon, which are a couple of the biggest releases that are out for you. And then Eric and I will each be giving you a film that we thought was overlooked in 2022. And Eric did such a good job. He almost forgot the movie came out. I certainly did until (laughs) I saw his note. And that just kind of tells you what kind of year it's been. But we are going to start with Ryan Johnson's epic follow-up to Knives Out, The Glass Onion, Some of you, like Eric and I, may have gotten to see it in theaters when it had its limited release over Thanksgiving week. And then Netflix graciously sent me this hat, which is, you know, now part of my permanent collection. The movie dropped last Friday on Netflix and now is available for everyone to enjoy. I have to be honest, if you followed my year-long countdown, you know how much I love Knives Out. It was my best film of the year for 2019. It's not only in my top 50, I think it's up in my top 25, if I recall, where it is. It's a movie I saw it four times in theaters. I loved it. I was terrified when they said they were making a sequel, because at no point in time when you're watching that movie are you like, oh, this needs a sequel. Plus, I like Benoit Blanc uh, fine as a character, and Daniel Craig does a nice job, but he wasn't my favorite part of the original movie, so I was curious how they were going to do it. Well, if you had any of those fears, you can set them to rest. Glass Onion has a wonderful cast. Really love Janelle Monet in this one. I think she's probably the one that's been competing the most uh, during award season. Fantastic casting, fantastic writing, fantastic callbacks. You know, both Eric and I have been looking for that Jared Leto hard kombucha for months. Uh, you know, we are going to find it at some point. I really like the way they did the story. Um, I thought Daniel Craig, if possible, was even better in this one, carries a lot more of it. And after seeing this, now I'm ready to do this every year or two for like the next decade with original stories. As long as Ryan Johnson wants to crank them out, going to different spots is completely different setting, completely different setup. But I loved it. I gave it two thumbs up. It is actually film number 11 for me on the year, just narrowly missing my top 10. Wow. Wow. All right. Yeah. So Glass Onion kind of was like one of the most exciting theater experiences for me of this year. I just, I knew from Knives Out that very minimum, I'm going to be taken on an interesting ride for someone who knows how to unfold a mystery. And that was kind of my only hang up gripe on it was the way the mystery unfolded. Uh, now, I, a lot of people are, are, are very happy with the structure of the story here. So I'm a little bit out of step with most people, but I feel like I would like to have started. I'm just going to say at the beginning. And I feel like there's a lot that could be there. At least I want to see a version of the movie that starts at the beginning. And I have some plans for that, but no, everything else that you said, I agree with. I think we got to see a little more characterization from Benoit Blanc. I think Daniel Craig owns it. And, 
I, uh, Janelle Monet is fantastic. I thought Catherine Hahn and Leslie Odom Jr. for characters who, you know, for the large part, it's kind of weird in this movie. Not spoiling something is sometimes spoiling something, but I'll just say they don't have as much to do. So a lot of their characterization comes from their look and, and what the little moments that they have between characters. And I just found myself, my eyes drawn to them a lot. Edward Norton, the beauty with which his character is played out. Again, I can't be too specific about it just in case. I'm, I'm hoping, just go see it. I'm giving it a full two thumbs up as well. Even though I have my gripes with it, I still enjoy it for what it is. So, yeah. Well, there's there's a piece in the middle when, when Daniel Craig kind of gets to his speech and he references a couple of things that when I was watching it the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? That didn't sound right. And you're going through. I just actually watched this. Uh, so I went with my my good friend uh, when it dropped in theaters because I'm like, I'm not waiting. Forget this. I'm going. Uh -huh. You know, I knew I was going to get a screen or whatever. I, I'm going. So I went. And then. It was really kind of interesting. Uh, I watched it over again um, just a couple of days ago with my wife because she wanted to see it. And it was it was really kind of it holds up. It has great rewatchability, just like the first one, which is one of the things that I really enjoyed about Shocking. it. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you pick up different things. You see how they layer things on. Um, you get different jokes. Sometimes the jokes hit a little differently. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the next movie is really good it's definitely a different vibe and that's the drama she said which uh, focuses on a couple of new york times reporters and their hunt to uncover the truth about harvey weinstein this one dropped in november just before thanksgiving i think it got a little bit lost in the shuffle at that point in time it is now available on vod and when you're home over the long weekend looking for options we wanted to throw this one out there and i'll let you kick it off with your thoughts eric and I am happy to talk about this one because I feel like talking is important. I feel like the entire concept of it, like we're, we've come so far since what this story kicked off. And yet still, because this story and what happened in reality gets lost in the shuffle of a lot of he said, she said arguments, it's really important that you have one side just shut up and you get to listen to a story play out in the vein of all the president's men spotlight and Zodiac a little bit. Uh, Andre Brower. I loved him in this movie, uh, but really the stars of it, uh, you know, carry it, uh, Carrie Mulligan. And um, do you know Zoe Kazan? Zoe Kazan. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought if acting is reacting a lot of their work with, the leads that sort of carry their stories into the movie do that. But the most powerful thing about this and why I fully give this movie two thumbs up is in the direction choice to have some explanations of what happened take place over insert shots of locations where they happened. So you have color and texture and ideas to what these people went through that you wouldn't normally, because on the one hand, in these sort of political or not political, but, you know, journalism thrillers, a lot of times people are looking over their shoulder to find the threat. And in this movie, people are looking over their shoulder to dissociate from the threat. And that's what made this stand out and feel so powerful to me. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and you know what? I can't wait to watch the back-to-back Carrie Mulligan special of Promising Young Woman, for which I still maintain she should have won the Best Actress Award. And she said she's gone kind of a roll with with these movies and and very powerful performances. But a couple of things that really hammered home for me. I've always been a big fan of journalism films. For those of you that have followed my countdown, you know the paper was up in my top 10 as a young teen in the 90s watching that movie that was one of the things that first prompted me to want to go into journalism i actually went to college and have a degree in broadcast journalism i did that for a number of years before what i'm doing now that's part of what fueled my passion for writing and for covering sports and things like that so i've really always loved journalism films spotlight is in my personal top uh top 50 as well i love all the president's men so i was very excited about this but what hit home for me was the deep emotion and the bravery of this story and the way it's told jennifer ale um who plays one of the the uh survivors Uh, you know i don't want to call them victims they're survivors who bravely tells her story does a fantastic job but i was incredibly moved by ashley judd who is playing herself and is laying her own story and her own trauma bare. And it was breathtaking to behold. Um, This movie captivated me the entire time. This was my number one movie uh, for 2022 and remains so. It's a movie I hope everyone gets to see. Maria Schrader does a beautiful job directing here. I wish she was more in more of the short conversations uh, for directing awards. Um, I loved this movie. Uh, I don't think it's gotten enough credit and people need to see it. And I hope that it catches a second life now that it's available on VOD. There is no easy transition. Oh, I also gave it two thumbs up. You probably guessed that from the number one of the end. There is no easy transition from a movie like that to a debaucherous fun fest like Babylon, which was the big theater opening for Christmas weekend. Damien Chazelle's feature film. It runs over three hours long. It's set in the golden age of Hollywood in the 1920s, focusing on silent film stars just as about they're about to turn the corner to the talking film era. Brad Pitt, it plays a very well-established star in that era who's looking at kind of the precipice of his career. Margot Robbie is an up-and-comer trying to break into that arena um, battling some of her own demons and Diego Calva is Manny he's a guy he's on the fringes he just wants to be a part of the whole thing and find a way to be a part of the whole machine there are a whole bunch of other brave performances there are some fun performances Toby Maguire pops up well into the film in kind of a crazy role Gene Smart uh, does some fun things as a film critic this is as Eric said we were going to watch some party movies. This is definitely a party movie. The entire first act is pretty much an orgy taking place at a Hollywood party. Um, The film basically begins with an elephant doing something to a guy that you can't unsee. And it sets the tone for the rest of this movie, which is an incredibly fun ride. That's also backed by some amazing visuals from Chazelle, some incredible performances. And one of my favorite scores of the year, if not my favorite, from Justin Hurwitz, who also did the music for La La Land. I think where we've seen some of the pushback, if you went into this expecting La La Land Part 2, Tonally, they could not be any different. They're both set kind of in the in the Hollywood dream making arena. They're both, I would guess, romances, tragic romances. But they that's all they have in common. Plus, having the same director. This, I think, that some of the complaints I've heard. Well, I thought we were going to get La La Land Part Two, and we got this kind of wild. No, this is a completely different thing. 
I know it's not going to be for everyone. It definitely earns its R rating. Um, there is plenty of content challenges. I would not show this to any children. Um, but I was really drawn in and taken with what he did. The music, the celebration, the performances. I gave it two thumbs up. It's actually film number 13 for me on the year. Well, uh, yeah, when I saw the title Babylon, I automatically thought of massive thing people tried to build that was corrupt and fell apart. And that's kind of how I felt about the movie. Um, I do think Damien Chazelle's camera work uh, combined with Justin Hurwitz's score, that's like a, a match made in heaven kind of thing. And uh, so I adored the look of this movie. I just, I I had a, a couple of issues with it. And one of them that I really couldn't get over was the need for um, Tobey Maguire's character. the This concept that gambling debts had suddenly popped up and that the characters have to do this. I feel like the most powerful stuff in this movie to me is in the characters moving the way they move away from the spotlight and then looking back to see what their legacy is going to be. And actually Brad Pitt's last scene in the movie is scored with La La Land music in a different key. And that really got me like Brad Pitt was a little bit here and there for me over the beginning of it. But when his character is reflecting on himself and just those, those little quiet moments, I think is where he, he shines the most, but Margot Robbie was absolutely spectacular. And I really hope given, you know, like the behind the scenes of Hollywood that we get out of, she said in this, that, Margot Robbie is genuinely like happy and everything. And that there's no part of her that feels like, you know, pressured to be in these roles because I like to imagine that she is a star who just like earned and deserves like her place and whatnot. And I just, you know, with between Babylon and she said, and so many other things that have come out recently, I just hope she's safe. You know, um, she seems like she's having fun with this this role. Yep, absolutely. She, I think she has fun Wild with some child. of these over well, and that's what I loved her as Harley Quinn. When they did the the version of Suicide Squad we're not supposed to like. Um, <laughs> I thought she should have been on the short list for best supporting actress. She carried that movie. She was mesmerizing. They kind of sidelined her a little bit more in yeah. the the sequel, but um she she's great here uh damien chazelle has a, a fascinating body of work mm -hmm. yeah I, I gave babylon one thumb up strong thumb up nearly two thumbs up and i feel like my mood might change but i can't tell which direction it would go because you expect a party you don't expect it to be all about the party falling apart so yeah, yeah and it, it's another kind of um you know, a hallmark, I would almost say, of some of his early films is these central romances that don't don't work out. You know, we saw Whiplash, unless you consider the central romance to be between the student and the teacher, um, <laughs> which, which, you know, I get I get possibly where you're going there. Whiplash was a movie that when I, I had zero expectations, I saw it in probably the smallest, tiniest attic theater in downtown. And just like a middle of a weekday. 
and I was just blown away. Um, you know, and you saw something completely different with La La Land. Then he gave you First Man, which I think is a really underrated space film. And now you get Babylon, and they're all radically different and very well crafted. But like I said, probably isn't for everyone. Um, you know, I know a lot. I think the biggest marketing disservice that I've seen done is everyone keeps talking about, you know, from the guy that gave you La La Land, we get another musical Hollywood event. Well, no, you know, they're yeah. just not the same. And I think it created a set of expectations. And that's when I've seen people really upset. They often refer back to one film to talk about what they're upset about the other one. And you know what? I fell into that trap myself. I, that was how I told my wife we were going to watch it. I was like, oh, it's the guy that made La La Land. I think you'll like it. <laughs> and as soon as it started, I was like, oh, this was a mistake because I've seen his full canon of work and, and love him. Yeah. And not there, everyone has. There are a lot of little interesting deceptions in the trailer for this movie, like that are telling. Like, like Brad Pitt does not dance before he falls. Okay, she asks, does anyone want to see someone else fight a snake, not herself? This is, and the context for why she does that is like so different from what it looks like this manic, you know, crazy movie. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly the wildest of wild rides. I also don't know if it if the time of year where it got dropped, it's not what you might call a traditional Christmas film. Not the yeah. worst film to see on Christmas as uh, someone who as a high schooler convinced their family to go on Christmas day to see any given Sunday. There are worse things, you know, nothing like sitting between your mom and your teenage sister watching the locker room scenes from any given Sunday thinking, well, this is what Christmas is really all about. But I, I don't know if it was the right time of year. Cause you've seen all of the kind of Christmas week movies that Whitney Houston biopic hasn't done particularly well. I just I think the Christmas week movies just when you drop them on Christmas and not the week before for word of mouth to gain, I think that's just what happens to them. I think Babylon is going to be serviced very well by a VOD and home release. I think the option for people to take this big thing and think, well, I don't have to watch the whole thing at once or, you know, like have these little excuses to watch it. I think any sort of marketing that can be put out that can champion its home release would probably see a pickup in, in a lot of positive attention. So, And it was an interesting decision to me they made late in the game because all of the initial marketing blush was New York and L.A. on Christmas Day, everywhere January 6th. And they pulled it up a couple of weeks. And I wonder if they'll regret that. Well, those are three of uh, the movies that are kind of in vogue right now. But Eric and I would be remiss if we did not leave 2022 pointing out a couple of movies that we enjoy that just have fallen through the cracks a little bit. And as I said, Eric's first choice, a great one, also brings Margot Robbie back into focus. And that's Amsterdam, which came from director David O. Russell. It dropped in October, has Christian Bale, John David Washington, Margot Robbie, Chris Rock. It's a fairly loaded cast. It was a fun movie did not do incredibly well at the box office. It is now available on VOD, but it is also streaming. If you have HBO Max, you can just pop it on and watch it with your subscription there. Eric, take it away. And it just has a, this sweet sort of like inspiring, more hopeful kind of thing to it. It's, it's this black comedy sort of murder mystery. 
Uh, I, it has like the tone of a satire, but it's not really satirizing anything. And the characters just have so much fun. Every actor in this is 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 on on, on their A game. Uh, you know, like Chris Rock, John David Washington. You've already given the list of actors, but just like everybody getting to sort of put on, sorry, um, a performance and sort of like enjoy themselves on screen and like it really comes off. And even uh, Robert De Niro, who plays a role that I would normally see him as just like a cameo role, like in Limitless or something like that, where he comes in, he does his thing and he leaves. His character and him as an actor seemed a lot more invested in it. And so this, these characters being kicked into this little murder mystery, you already know who they are by the time this starts. And it's just a lot of fun to see them try and figure out how they're going to address it. And that's the whole thing. I, I I don't even know how much I can say about it just being kind of nice and fun. And beyond that, uh, I just really think that people should give it a shot and see what they think. And I think part of you know what may have been a little bit of a detraction point for this film is actually David O. Russell himself, not because of his body of work, but some things have come out about him personally and what it's like to work with him on a set that I think painted this in a bad light and maybe caused the studio not to market it as strong as it should have been. Because you get the feeling looking at the construction of Amsterdam, the kind of story it is, the cast that it has, I thought that it was being crafted to make an award season run, but they sort of buried it and it very quickly moved on to HBO Max and kind of just got lost in the shuffle. But I'm with you. It was a movie I enjoyed. I forgot about it uh, because, you know, you see it and then nobody was talking about it. And, and a lot of people were a little negative, didn't love all the beats of the story. I thought it worked for me. I thought the humor worked for me. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the mystery aspect. I've seen it compared um, to another movie. I don't know if you saw, which is See How They Run. Uh, they came out pretty close together. Story-wise, they were a little bit similar. Some of the tones similar. See How They Run did not actually work for me that well. I gave it two and a half stars. It just was, I thought it was okay. It just didn't really click. This clicked in a lot better way. Um, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the performances. I think it'd be a fun one to check out. It's also fun. You could do both those movies are on HBO Max right now, so you could do a back-to-back period piece detective novel. Just end on Amsterdam so that you have... Yeah, definitely watch the better one second. Uh, My overlooked movie that I've come back to a few times since I first saw this way back in January is Honk for Jesus save your soul and this is one that was released as part of the sundance film festival in 2022 and that's how i saw it i watched an online um screener and i loved it right away um sterling k brown and regina hall play a couple who are pastors of a large church in the south who have gone through a scandal and are trying to get ready to reopen this is shot somewhat mockumentary style i saw i've actually seen two versions of this film because they made quite a few edits and adjustments after Sundance. I'm going to say I think I enjoyed the Sundance version a little bit more, but both are great. Um, There are humorous moments, but what really got to me is the emotional depth of a few of the 
moments in here and the performances you get from Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall. This one released over Labor Day weekend. I was kind of bummed. They they kind of dumped it out unceremoniously when college football, the NFL, and school are all starting. But it did also get released on Peacock. Uh, where it is streaming. So if you have the NBC service Peacock, you can go uh, get a look at this one. It's remained a film that stuck with me. It actually ends the year in my, just inside my top 10 at number nine. Um, I just loved this film. I love the, the heart. Um, I love the humor. I love what they were trying to do. And to me, it was just a film that got a little bit overlooked. And I really appreciated you putting this pick on there because I had skipped it. And so getting the chance to watch it and recognize that Regina Hall probably does deserve a slot in the best actress run. Like this, this was kind of a hard watch uh, for me because there's something to that attitude of someone trying to use their faith in a certain way where it's like, it's something I have, different feelings you know personally about like how someone does something and just like both of these actors did a phenomenal job of playing the role of these sort of i don't want to use the word evangelist but sort of you know i mean they uh, are kind of they are basically evangelists yeah i they they are trying to do everything you know for god but it is you know really for themselves everything about it feels a little tainted by selfishness and by the time regina hall's character owns her distance from that i was like falling apart for her i thought it was uh it was really touching and the this just the things that she has to go through in that in that movie uh to support you know like her character's husband and all that kind of stuff it was just and for me there there's one scene that you know that has stuck with me for a long time and it's sterling k brown when he you know he's going through this and you can never completely tell how he feels about his mission and what he's doing whether he you want to believe at times that he's earnest but you can't quite tell and after he has a pretty negative confrontation and he's at one of his lowest spots and he's out away, a guy who's a prisoner comes up and talks to him in the parking lot and tells him what a difference he made. And he, the way Sterling K. Brown acts that scene with his facial expressions, I i mean, it just got to me. I mean, it still does even just, just thinking about it. Um, Regina Hall has has a lot of great moments. It's an incredible showcase for her. Um, it's, it's a difficult film, um, but it's there's some beauty. To watch, but it's hard to digest. Yeah. And, you know, I, sometimes I'm taken with these kind of films last year. I, I incredibly love the eyes of Tammy Faye, which was a movie that not everyone resonated with. They all appreciated everyone. I think appreciated Jessica Chastain's performance, but uh, you know, as somebody who works um, in the industry that's being portrayed in this film, you know, some of these things hit me a little bit differently and I've always appreciated films that ask hard questions um, about theology. And this one does at times in, in a way that really made me think. And I thought they also handled the subject matter well. Um, you know, there is a lot of 
falseness in in some of the kind of big mega church televangelist world and we've seen a lot of that come out and it's hurt people uh, over the years and sometimes you don't even realize the people that are also being hurt are the people that are lying to themselves um to kind of project an image and that's what you get from these two and it's just i saw it like i said uh martin luther king weekend in in 2022 and here we are almost to new year's eve and i'm you know still thinking about it it. yeah well that'll bring to a close this last episode of 2022 i want to wish you guys a happy new year a happy and safe new year and hopefully one that's filled with some interesting films we've given you five that you can go check out depending on your mood throughout this weekend and we will be back next week looking at some films that release at the end of the year including netflix's last release of the year white noise which drops tomorrow Uh, Until then, hope you guys enjoy your time at the movies.